Hello from the Netherlands. My name is Joost. Um, I'm a student with London School of Theology over in Northwood. Um, and I've been blessed to call Christ First my home church for my time of studying. Um, unfortunately, I cannot be in the UK at, uh, at the present time because of COVID-19. So I am joining you from my parents' house where I've been living for a few months now again. Um, this is my bedroom um, and we have Paddington over there who also likes to say hi to you. Um, I believe he was actually a gift of my dad's uh, when I was born um, as I've been given a lot by my father and I will perhaps touch on that a bit later on in this service. Now, I'm not quite sure if I'm able to share my screen yet. Doesn't look like it, maybe that later on. Um, but yes, as it has been said, uh, it is Father's Day today. And so as we preach, we will come to see something about the fatherhood of God near the end of the preach. And well, you could also argue it's actually all over the preach and all over the Bible. Today's preach is called Grace in Which We Stand. And we're going to be reading from Romans chapter five. Now, as I was talking with Aaron about what I would preach about today, um, I said, well, I would like to preach about grace. And that's quite a big topic. Um, and it's even a bit tricky um, because it is difficult to define God's grace um, or the love of God or the majesty of God, because those are such vast concepts. Uh, we often define grace as unmerited favor, and we will see a lot about the forgiveness of God today. But grace is more than that. It is more than a clean slate. It is more than one particular moment of forgiveness. So Romans 5, starting at verse 1, we will work through the first 11 verses of this chapter bit by bit. Ah, I see I can share my screen now. That's helpful because then it will appear on the screen as well. There we are. Hope you can all see that. There it is. Romans 5, starting at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's verse 1. But if you will, there's actually a bit of a verse 0 here too. It's in that word, therefore. Because the word therefore means that what Paul is about to argue here, the Apostle Paul who's written this letter, what he is about to argue here follows on or flows from what he has been arguing before in what we now know as chapter four of the book. So we need to take a moment to look at what it says there. Now in Romans chapter four, Paul makes a case about the importance of faith compared to that of circumcision and of righteous deeds. Circumcising the males was something that was quite distinct to the Jewish people. And for many, it was the sign of being part of God's covenant people. And that's because it was a practice that dated all the way back to their forefather, Abraham. Their forefather, the great grandfather of all the Jews um, was circumcised in his life. And it's a very important way, signifier, of the holiness, the set-apartness of the Jewish people to God. 
But Paul argues that the righteousness of Abraham was not actually due to his being circumcised. It wasn't even due to his good deeds, although he did, he did them. The righteousness of Abraham was his unwavering faith in God. And so Paul argues in chapter 4 that likewise, we, and that's Jews and non-Jews alike, are made righteous not by circumcision or not, not by our good deeds primarily. We are justified by faith. And so Paul opens this new argument, this new chapter, with therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read on, um, continuing in verse 2. Through him, that's through Jesus Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, that's quite a statement that Paul makes here. There are several, but there's this one impressively long sentence running all the way from verse 3 through verse 5. It even can dazzle us a little bit when we read it. Uh, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Hold on now. Hope. It's a very good thing. Is that something that can be traced back to suffering? It almost sounds like a motivational speech that Paul gives here. Now, Paul wasn't a dad. But when I read this, I can't help to think about dads giving a motivational speech to their children. Um, especially Kelvin and Hobbes. Maybe you've heard about that comic. Uh, anyway, it, maybe it's something that is typical of dads. That when children are doing something that they don't like, that some dads are tempted to say, well... It builds character. Paul seems to say something similar here, but it's not quite the same. It's not even the same as what we say today, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Because we need to remember that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger or any sort of character growth doesn't come naturally with suffering. When we go through a tough time, we don't immediately think, hey, here's an opportunity for me to grow as a person. What happens most immediately is that we feel hurt. We may feel confused, disappointment. We may feel distraught. We don't immediately feel we are growing. If this were... A motivational letter, then it's a motivational letter to Christians who are suffering for their faith. And suffering and persecution is not a joke. 
it wasn't in that time and it isn't today. And Aaron mentioned it's Refugees Day today. Well, having to leave everything behind because of disaster or war is not a joke either. And it's quite easily said from our easy chairs, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But in reality, what doesn't kill you can hurt a lot. But there's something that, if you will, redeems this kind of suffering. Or more than that, that enables us to rejoice in our suffering, like Paul says. And that's because of God. The people who Paul writes this to were suffering for their faith. A faith which was credited to them as righteousness. A faith that obtained them access into grace in which they stood. Grace in which we stand through faith. And this makes all the difference. It enables us to rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's one. In another translation, it says we rejoice in hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we even rejoice in our sufferings. Because being afflicted is hurtful in and of itself. Suffering can begin to produce good when God is involved. In the end, it can produce hope, a hope that does not put us to shame. You see, there's two things we can rejoice in through this grace in which we stand. We will see a third one later on, but that's all the way down in verse 11. We will get to that eventually. But first, we will see more about this grace in which we stand. And we will see a bit of the fatherhood of God. So let's read on. Romans 5, continuing in verse 6. There they are again, my PowerPoint. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And rejoice in our sufferings. Romans 5, continuing in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Here's another modern day phrase that we sometimes throw out casually. I would take a bullet for that person. Ever heard that said? I would take a bullet for that person. Now, in some cases, that is quite literal because you are in the army and you're going into combat. But oftentimes we say it meaning something friendshipy, something 
along the lines of, I like that person a lot um, and I would do a lot for him or her. But Paul gives us a bit of a reality check. Who would actually be willing to lay down their lives for someone else? One will scarcely die for a righteous person. It would have to be somebody who is really dear to us, who's really close to us, who really means a lot to us, before we are willing to lay on our lives. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I'm thinking many of us are familiar with the gospel story. But just to press it on our hearts again, let's remember that Christ died for us not while we were his friends. Christ died for us while we were sinners, enemies of God. This sin that humanity has allowed to become part of their daily lives. This sin that puts a gulf or a roadblock between us and our creator. While we were still caught up in that sin, not even willing to change it, Christ died for us. And it says in verse 6, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I want to take a moment and think about that word, weak. Because what kind of weakness does that mean? Well, having studied for a while now, I have only a very basic understanding of biblical Greek, but the word used for weak, oddly enough, is similar to a word we have in Dutch. Not quite sure about English, but the word used in Greek is asthenes. That's the weakness. And in Dutch, we have a word that sounds like that. It's asteen. Again, I'm not sure if this is the case in English too. It's not a very common word, even in Dutch. Um, but where it is used, it is quite telling. As some of you may know, uh, my girlfriend is a doctor. Um, I have a girlfriend who's a doctor and she works in the ICU in one of our hospitals here in the Netherlands. And she recognized this word immediately. Because Austin describes the kind of weakness of people laying at the ICU. And we've seen a lot of footage of ICUs recently. I've been blessed, I think I can say, to have my second vaccination jab yesterday. Yesterday evening, it's right there. And it causes me to feel a bit off, perhaps. A bit feverish, um, a bit stiff in my left shoulder. But that kind of weakness holds nothing to asthenes weakness. 
That's the kind of weakness that describes people who are exhausted, who are worn out by the strain of disease or suffering from the backlash of heavy medical treatment. It's not that they can't get up and take a walk. They can't move a muscle. They're laying in their hospital beds and they need medical mechanical support to breathe because they don't have the muscular strength to breathe in or breathe out. That's the kind of weakness we ought to think of with this verse. Because it's not that we were weak in the sense that we were lacking that little last bit of strength to save ourselves from our sin. It's not like that. It's not that we, if we had the little last bit of strength, we would have been able to rescue ourselves and pull ourselves up from the pit. It's not even that we came prepared to the fight, but we were overpowered by an enemy or opponent who was stronger and more experienced than us. We couldn't lift a finger to save ourselves from our sin. And moreover, we were still sinners. We were still not just trapped in it and unable to get out of it, but we're without excuse. We were guilty. And it's at this point, at the right time, that Christ died for the ungodly. It is at this point that God was willing to send his son to die for us. Now, like I said, I haven't been able to come to the UK and I don't have access to the LST student library with a lot of biblical commentaries in it. But I found one which is pretty old it's a commentary by Matthew Henry. And in a bit about Romans 5, he writes this. That for such as these, Christ should die is such a mystery, such a paradox, such an unprecedented instance of love that it may well be our business to eternity to adore and wonder at it. While we were such as these, Christ died for us. God's son laid down his life for us so that we could be with his father. Maybe you are watching this um, and this is something that is new to you. It could be that you are watching this later on online or listening to this message and this is new to you. Let me just say that this is for you. It's for all of us. It is most definitely for me. And it is for you. So if this is you, then there's an invitation to respond to this. If you are touched by this message, not my words, but the love of God and the sacrifice of Christ, then there's an invitation to give up your old ways, to surrender your life to God, 
and to begin a new life with Christ as your Lord and Savior. There will be a chance to um, respond to this and um, ask for prayer later on in this service. Um, but there's a bit more that we should read. We'll pick it up again at verse 10 and read verse 10 and 11. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There's our third rejoice. Remember, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. With God, we can rejoice even in our sufferings, knowing that in the end, it can produce hope. And thirdly, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. We rejoice in God. We rejoice in God. It's one thing to have your sins pardoned to have a clean slate. But it's another thing, a deeper thing, to rejoice in God through Jesus Christ. And to explore the depths of that, we need to explore the depth of this reconciliation. Like I said, maybe this is something that is new to you, but it could also be that you are quite familiar with this message. Maybe not with this exact uh, passage of scripture, but um, you may have grown up as a Christian or have been a Christian for many years. I know I have. Um, I have been blessed to have been taken to church by my father and my mother, um, my parents who are sitting downstairs and uh, watching this. And because of that, I've heard this gospel story year in, year out. I've heard the stories about the Apostle Paul, about Abraham, and the story about Jesus Christ. Maybe that's the same for you. But let me just say that if you're like me, there's a chance that you have heard this, sung about it, read about it, and then the sermon is over, the instruments are unplugged, we put down our Bibles, and we live like it's not true. Here's what I mean by this. Though Christ died for our sin, and he was without sin, and he rose from the grave conquering sin and death for all who would believe in him, sin is still part of our existence. It is something that is still very present in the world we live in. And it is something that we can find ourselves still struggling with even in our lives of faith. I know I struggle with it sometimes. And I go, I've slipped up again. I've done something I shouldn't have done. Thought some bad things about that person. Said some things I shouldn't have said. And I realize I'm allowing sin to influence my life again. Now, 
sometimes that leads me to worry whether I'm actually worth it, whether I'm actually worthy of this sacrifice of Christ, whether I can actually count myself as one of God's. And before any alarm bells go off with some of us in the church, now, the Bible is very clear that since we are alive with Christ, we are dead to our sin. And because we are dead to sin, we should put to death our previous sinful ways. That means it is good to assess how we are doing in that regard. We ought to live for the glory of God and not follow our sinful desires wherever they lead us. We should try and battle against them in God's strength. But we shouldn't go so far as to think that every day we are still at risk of making one more sinful mistake and falling from grace like that. Because if we do that, there is a danger that we allow ourselves to value our own performance more than the death of Christ. Here's what I mean by that. I'm a Christian. I'm trying to live for the glory of God. I make mistakes. I slip up in that. And sometimes that leads me to worry, am I still alive in Christ? Am I still not under the wrath of God? But here's the thing. If I think I might fall under the wrath of God because I'm underperforming, then I'm forgetting that it wasn't my performance that made the difference to begin with. It wasn't my performance trying to do good, to do more good than bad. That makes the difference. Because I was weak to save myself from my sin. It has been already said, sung and prayed in this service. That the fatherhood of God excels that of the fathers we have. Um, great as our fathers may be in our lives or terrible as it may have been in our lives. But there is a bit of a parallel here. You see, when I was born, I couldn't do or say or be or perform anything that could earn me the love of my parents, that could have acquired me the love of my father. I was a baby. I was crying. I couldn't talk. I couldn't do anything. I was helpless. And it wasn't my performance then, nor my performance now, that makes the difference whether my father loves me or not. I realize I'm very blessed with a father like that. And that is, is not the case for everyone, for their dad to be like that. But it is true for everyone, everyone, that God is like that. It wasn't our performance that could save us from our sin. 
it wasn't our performance that could earn, acquire, uh, or secure for us the love of God. You see, God loves us as his children because of the grace in which we stand. And that is grace through faith in his son who died for us. So if you're struggling sometimes with this thought, with this doubt, whether you are still in or out, let me just say, you don't just fall in or out because you did it. You are in because Christ did it. As some of you know, we are planning to do a series on the book of Hebrews later on in this year. Don't exactly know when because the Lord has had different, different plans in the past, but we hope to get to it. There is a passage in the book of Hebrews which could indicate that it is actually possible to encounter this grace of God and yet fall away. I don't think that contradicts the message today. I'm pretty sure it doesn't. But when we get to that series, I would be willing to take up that bit of scripture and preach from it. Might regret those words later on, but then that's on me. For now, as we begin to close out this sermon, there's one more thing I would like to highlight about this reconciliation. And for that, we should turn to Romans chapter 8 and read a few verses starting at verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You, me, all of us, we did not receive the spirit of slavery. We're not slaves to sin anymore. We shouldn't live like we are. And we are not slaves to fall back into fear that we may have missed it after all. On the contrary, we, we have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself, it says in verse 16, 
bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We've just concluded a series on spiritual gifts in the church. And this is not one of the gifts of the spirit that is usually labeled as one of the charismata. It is not like tongues. It is not like prophecy. But it is a work of the spirit that I think is actually very important. The spirit bears witness. The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if you're listening to this today and you struggle with doubts creeping in, whether you are a child of God or not, I'm praying that in your life and my life and in the life of this church, this work of the spirit would be ever present. That we would be attentive to hear it and to live according to it. Even if doubts creep in, let's open our hearts to the spirit of God, bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That we are not just pardoned servants, but children of the Father.